in between episode nine, finding the best problem. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. We all talk about how we don't want our business or our product to be a solution looking around for a problem. Because not solving a marketplace problem or filling an identified need is such a bad start that even the best strategy and tactics would be unlikely to save it. Today, I wanted to talk about something that I don't hear discussed often enough. What makes a problem an excellent problem? Because if the problem is awesome enough, its solution has every chance of being a barnstormer. People will want such a solution. We all want our problems solved. But let's kick this off with two case studies, two examples of the most amazing problems. The first one I'm going to call the luggage case study. And I've mentioned this one before on the podcast. I think about this. For generations, for hundreds of years, people were solving luggage problems. There were zippers that were more rugged. There were clasps that clasped better. There was hard shells, soft shells, ergonomic designs, carrying handles that were easier to grasp. But what's the real problem with luggage? Right. It's heavy and it's hard to carry. So think about this. In, what was it, the 80s? Somebody figured out that it's easier to pull luggage than it is to carry it. And they put wheels on luggage. Totally revolutionized the entire luggage industry. I mean, what a miss. Hundreds of years, people are lugging around steamer trunks and no one thought to put wheels on them. That's an example of an amazing problem. How do you not carry luggage? It's something that's so obvious that it's easy to overlook, which reminds me of that David Foster Wallace quote. He says, there are these two fish, these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet another older fish swimming the other way. The older fish nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish, they swim on for a bit. And then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? Once again, you know, some things are just so obvious that we wind up missing them. And the luggage industry missed the carrying problem for hundreds of years. Here's problem case study number two. We'll call it the smartphone problem. So I read a book recently by Kevin Ashton. Awesome book. Can't recommend it enough. It's called How to Fly a Horse. I I highlighted a page and I'm going to read it. This is Kevin Ashton talking. He says, for several years, starting around 2002, I was a member of the research advisory board of a company that made cell phones. It was no secret that Apple might enter the cell phone market, but the risk was always dismissed since Apple had never made a phone. A few months after Apple's phone became available, I asked what the company thought of it. The chief engineer says, it really, it has a bad microphone. That company is actually out of business now. Kevin Ashton writes later. (laughs) But the, the point is this. For Steve Jobs and the iPhone, the critical point of departure there was not finding a solution, but seeing a problem. And the problem was 
the keyboard. You can't make a keyboard really small because it makes the smarter phones harder to use. The smartphone is really only smart because it's a computer in your pocket. And you can't put a computer in your pocket that doesn't have a keyboard. So the whole how do you create a tiny keyboard or how do you put a keyboard inside a telephone package, that was the rate critical detail to figure out. And really, if you think about that, everything else followed from that realization. All those other companies, they could make an iPhone, but they couldn't conceive of one. They couldn't look at their existing products and ask, why doesn't this work? And because of that, they missed the problem. What do you do with a keyboard? Okay, so let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about what defines a really amazing problem or what the difference is between a good problem, a better problem, and a fantastic problem. What I did was I looked around, and I don't want this to turn into some sort of quotation medley, but there are people that are far smarter in this area of expertise than I am. So what I did was I collected a couple of quotes from various people, which I think articulate the differences between good problems, better problems, and best problems. Here's good. Customers, and this is a quote, customers won't care about any particular solution or technology unless it solves a particular problem in a superior way. So a good problem is one that solves a particular problem in a superior way. Let's talk about a better problem. A better problem, and I'm quoting Peter Thiel here, every business is successful exactly to the extent that it solves something that competitors cannot solving a unique and troublesome customer problem. Okay, so that's a better problem to have, one that is unique and troublesome. Here's an excellent problem. This is a best problem. And this is the thought of Tony Faddle, who is the CEO of Nest Thermostats. And Tony says, it's seeing the invisible problem, not just the obvious problem that's important not just for product design, but for everything we do. You see, there are invisible problems all around us, ones that we can solve, but first we need to see them and feel them. And going back to the luggage case study example, that's exactly what we're talking about. It was so obvious everybody missed it. And, and with iPhones, it's the same thing. Nobody simply asked, why doesn't this work? And they would have realized that there was a situation with the keyboard, and if you can solve that problem, then you have a whole new smartphone market. So what makes for an excellent problem? I came up with three requirements, three things that are must-haves before your problem can be an excellent one. Number one, number one requirement for an excellent problem. The best problems really start with a purpose and a small problem rather than a big idea. I mean, if you think about the good, better, best, they're not grandiose world universal global schemes. They began with a nugget of an idea, a small problem. Another requirement of a most excellent problem is that they, these are problems that disrupt people's lives, not industries. Because if you're trying to get someone to purchase something, and when I say purchase, I could mean buy an idea or buy a philosophy or a theory or a change, just as much as I mean purchase a product. 
even if that person is part of a hospital, part of a large organization, they are going to purchase things that affect them. That's what they're going to champion. That's what they're going to want. If I, for the pharmaceutical industry, for example, if I think to myself, you know, the entire pharmaceutical industry has this difficulty and it's going to turn out to really cramp their style in two years. So I'm going to try to sell this to the pharmaceutical industry. No one's going to buy it because it doesn't affect anyone. There's no one who's my muse, so to speak. My worldview could be wildly different from anyone that I'm interacting with. It's very difficult to sell a philosophy. That's not a problem. And here is the third requirement of a most excellent problem. They generally speaking seem obvious only after the fact. And, you know, Steve Jobs actually also said something similar to this in a quote, which I'm going to completely butcher. He said something like, the dots are only connected after you've connected them. (laughs) And that's really true. I mean, if you're standing at that last dot looking around for the next one, it's not so obvious what that next one is. So where do you look for these most excellent problems? Where can you find these things? Let me go through a couple more quotes that I have collected for you. First one from Peter Thiel. He says, the best place to look for problems is where no one else is looking. I guess that's a little bit more easily said than done. Steve Jobs says, the best place to find excellent problems is by asking customers the right question and finding the answers in their answers which is also a little bit more easily said than done. One thing that I often say is that we can't rely on our customers to provide us with our vision. Or that Henry Ford famously said, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. What Steve Jobs is communicating there, that you have to find the answers in your customers' answers, is really listening to what they say and finding the non-obvious problem that's buried in those words. And a last place to look around for a most excellent problem. Back to Kevin Ashton. He said, great creators know that the best step forward is often a step back to scrutinize, analyze, and assess, to find faults and flaws, to challenge and to change. You cannot escape a maze if you only move forward. Sometimes the path ahead is behind, which is also good advice of where you can find the most excellent problems. In your quest to unearth the or conceive of the most excellent problem, here's just a point to contemplate. There's pros and cons to expertise. So sometimes we think to ourselves, you know, I know a lot about this one particular industry like healthcare, for example. So I'm going to come up with, I'm going to think about a, a problem in this area that I know really, really well. Let's talk about the value of the beginner's mind for a moment otherwise known as Fresh Eyes or Rookie Smarts, which is a book by Liz Weissman. That's the the title. And I'm going to tell you what she has to say about Rookie Smarts right now. With experience comes habits. And once we form a habit, our brain stops working. When the world is changing quickly, experience can become a curse, trapping us in old ways of doing and knowing, while inexperience can be a blessing, freeing us to improvise and adapt quickly to changing circumstances. One of the issues with knowing a lot is that it becomes really hard to find those invisible problems because our eyes just glance right over and don't even see them. Reminds me of the cause of ulcers. The cause of ulcers is actually bacteria in a patient's stomach. But 
it had been conventional wisdom amongst physicians for the longest time that bacteria couldn't grow in a stomach because the stomach was sterile due to all the acid. So despite the fact that if you looked at an image of stomachs, a bacteria called H. pylori, it was clearly visible. I mean, it was all over all these x-rays and nobody saw it except for one pathologist in, I think it was Australia. And he was like, hey, guys, what's all this bacteria? Looks like bacteria. Took lots of pictures of it. So finally, it took a long time. And he had to publish paper after paper and show image after image before the rest of the medical community came around to the fact that the bacteria they were looking at was actually bacteria. People were so convinced they were so certain that bacteria could not grow in the stomach that they did not see the bacteria growing in the stomach. Experience can sometimes cause us to not see things, and we have to be cognizant of the fact that that can happen. On the other hand, there is a great value of expertise. Experts don't think less. They think more efficiently. If your brain is practiced, it eliminates poor solutions so quickly that they barely even reach the attention of the conscious mind. You know exactly how to get it done. There's a Aldous Huxley. He wrote a book in 1932. And he said, experience is a matter of sensibility and intuition, of seeing and hearing the significant things, of paying attention at the right moments. And here's a really good example of that. Chess grandmasters. If you follow a chess grandmaster, maybe they contemplate three moves before they make a move. Only three. But there's, I forget what the levels are in, in, in chess, but there's expert level players and then masters and then grandmasters. If you go to a master level, instead of contemplating three moves before they make a move, a master will contemplate, I don't know, eight. And then if you go down to the expert level, an expert might contemplate 24. Despite the fact that a grandmaster is only contemplating three, a grandmaster will most often make the absolute best move under the circumstances. Whereas that, despite the fact that an expert is contemplating 24 moves, that's not always the case. So just because a grandmaster, because they have evaluated so many moves and accumulated so much experience, they can pay very selective attention to the game. A chess grandmaster, as an expert in chess, or any expert really in any subject matter, this expert's first impression is not really a first impression at all. It's the latest in a series of millions of impressions. And that's really important to realize. So as we're trying to find these most excellent problems, really, and I'm calling upon my very lame knowledge of Eastern philosophy right now, but I think there's a term called paradoxical unity. Western philosophy thinks about everything as a duality, good or bad, whereas in Eastern philosophy, things can be good and bad at the exact same time. And that's the concept of paradoxical unity. As we're trying to seek these most excellent problems, we really need to be both experts and rookies all in the exact same moment if we're going to find the most excellent problems. One other caution I would toss out at you, which I found interesting, there's a big difference between confidence and certainty. And this is a trap to watch out for. It's good to be confident. People who are confident in their expertise are self-assured but still clear-eyed. People who are confident are continually assessing new facts and drawing new conclusions based on those facts. The people who are certain, on the other hand, will rearrange facts to meet conclusions which they have drawn earlier. Something to keep in mind to maintain confidence, but don't cross that certainty line.
So in sum, in this in-between episode, our biggest opportunities will really emerge when we identify the biggest problems. The most excellent solutions are spawned by the most excellent problems. And hopefully it's a problem that no one else really noticed or noticed the point. I invite us all to set out to find the most excellent problems, especially the ones which are going to transform healthcare. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.